My guest today has the key to finding the right job the right way. Sandra Diaz is a career coach and founder of Spark Career Catalysts. And today she's going to share advice on networking techniques, how to attract better career opportunities, and land the job you want. Sandra, welcome to Eva Talks. Hi, Eva. Thank you very much for inviting me to share my story, my tips, and my ideas with your listeners. You know, I think that you have this uh, magnificent ability to really draw a crowd. Uh, When we met at the Alumni Society in New York, you were uh, about to give, um, you know, a talk on how to better network. And I was fascinated by the idea of how we can share that information with the audience. So you help position job seekers as ideal job candidates. And one of the programs you offer is a boot camp. How does it work? Well, I created the boot camp to help people regain momentum on their job search because I usually see people that are stuck Uh, mostly because they feel intimidated to reach out to other people for help connecting to a job or they don't know enough people to connect them. And they're mostly applying to jobs online, but they never get a response. And what happens with that is then, then they end up giving up. So they stop working on their job search daily. So it's sort of like a downward spiral. And so I decided to develop a seven-step system where I curated a bunch of job search content and facilitated a process that people can follow. So if somebody goes to my website, sparkcareercatalysts.com, and they sign up, they're going to get a daily email for 40 weekdays. And each email has a task that they can complete in 15 minutes And that starts taking care of the problem of inaction, which is one of the the things that causes people to be stuck. Then if they act on all the daily emails that I'm sending them, they will end up watching 57 videos and downloading 19 templates. All of those videos and templates are going to be helping them create that network that they're going to use to apply to jobs through actual people in addition to whatever they do online. So that way they're going to begin seeing more progress. And we also have a community so that people don't feel alone in the process to make sure they stay accountable. They can check in and they can also ask questions of other members. Um, And so the great thing is right now I'm offering that program for free. So if people go today and sign up, um, they can take advantage of the program, and very soon um, that system is going to be priced at $197. So it's it's a really good opportunity to get in and test it and see how it can improve your job search now. Should people get intimidated by the entire process? You know, they're looking for a job, they feel pressure, stressed, maybe financially they are not in the best circumstances, and, you know, watching all the videos and you know, going through all this process. I mean, what will you tell people about the idea? Because mostly it's a perception. It goes, it goes fast. It goes easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, um, when they look in the website, they can also go through and find what they need. And the important thing is it's a very short video, right? So like 10 minutes, 
they look at a concept, then they get to try it out and see how it works and, and check in with people that are also going through the same process. Right. So, so the challenge I think that people have is that they're, they don't have like steps that they can follow. So you can get lost. You know, a lot of people, the way the brain works is when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with job search, you end up wanting to like clean the house, pick up the kids, you know, do <laughs> other things. Right. And so, and so that's why this um, video and kind of the 15 minute daily task is designed to at least make you feel like, okay, if I don't do anything else in the day of a job search today, I'm going to do my 15 minutes. And somehow that creates a boost emotionally. Well, all of a sudden you either spend up a little bit more time because you're now on a roll or like, I actually work with a guy whose, whose uh, wife was, you know, it, well, in not terminal illness because I think she's healed, but he basically was taking care of three kids. He, they needed to find a job, but she, he had this sick wife. And, and what I told him is, look, I understand, you know, you can't do anything else, but he was, had a background in sales. So I told him, okay, just send one text a day, just one, you know, it, that takes what, three, five minutes. Do you know that he sent one text then somebody told him, oh, there's a job at this one place he had already been talking to. All he had to do was call them back and bam, he now has the job. So it all, and it, it only really took him to take a five minute action, but somebody had to tell him, hey, take the action. Otherwise his circumstances were overwhelming him so much that he couldn't see the path out. Right. And that's really what these kind of daily emails or videos are designed to do. Absolutely. So what is the one thing to consider when writing a resume? Uh, I think it just needs to be easy to read quickly. So that means that the top third of your resume sort of has to tell the whole story and answer the question, why should this company hire you? And another trick is in when you have like each of your jobs, um, highlight, pull out bullet points where you show what results have happened because of your actions. Because at the end of the day, what an employer wants to see is whether you've done the job before and what are the types of results you can bring. So if you, you make a lot of white space by doing those bullets and by having like a headline, that's a way for people to easily get like, yes, this can person can do the job and then want to bring you in for an interview. Uh, one mistake I see is that people sometimes put like a career objective and that's not a good strategy because that tells the employer you are thinking about your needs rather than thinking about how you can solve their problems. Right. That is a great advice. What are the recruiters looking for in the current marketplace? So as I mentioned with the resume, they want to see that you have already done what the hiring manager wants the person in the role to do. So that challenge is many times, um, for example, if you, especially if you're a career changer or just starting your career, or maybe you're somebody who took a career break and you haven't yet done the job or you have lost sort of the latest technology on your job, 
the most important way to overcome that issue is to show your expertise by posting your ideas on how you would do that role and other related articles in social media. Right. So, right. so if you don't have the job, if you don't have the actual exact role that they want, then you have to show expertise in a different way. Your ability to do research. I think that many times we overstep, you know, going and doing the research and, you know, there's a lot of information today very available, you know, on, on different topics so you can go better prepared and, uh, you know, write something that actually makes sense. I think what you do that is so amazing is that you change people's ways of thinking in the sense of their thought process, not what they believe, not what they should do, but basically how they are organizing their thoughts and how they are presenting themselves. So let's talk about the job interview. So let's say that you have researched the company, you review the possible questions, you prepare responses with your husband, wife, friend, boyfriend, <laughs> coach, yeah. you arrive on time, you're sharp. So what can go wrong? I mean, what is the one recurrent mistake people make? That people don't listen well because they're so focused on what they're going to say. So that's one issue. And then the other is not asking feedback from the interviewer about something you have said along the way. Okay. Right. So, so here's an example. I was interviewing somebody for a role and I, I asked him the question, what did they like and dislike about each job that they had? And the only thing they could tell me was they, they just, told me all the skills they employed in a job, like what somebody would normally say when they're saying, you know, tell me about yourself, like, and your resume. But that person didn't listen. That wasn't what I was asking. And the result for that person was, I thought, you know what, this person, I need them to be able to follow instructions and they clearly are not. So, you know, that I'm not going to call that person back. Right. Right. Another thing is, let's say she talked and talked about her skills, if she had asked me how important is that for your area, just right after she told me whatever it was, then that can create a dialogue. And that dialogue is really valuable because it will give you an inkling whether you meet the job criteria or not. Uh, we all always feel very rejected when, you know, we went in the interview and they didn't call us, but we never found out what it was that was working and not working along the way. And, and by the way, when you're asking questions like that, then you also get a sense for whether you fit and it's the right place for you. Because sometimes we're so desperate to be in the job that we don't think about where, where we're getting into or what we're getting into. And, and you know, that may not be the right place for you, too. Right. So it, it's, you have to sort of interview them as much as they're interviewing you. <laughs> this sounds like dating, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I did. Listen to the other person. Don't talk too much about yourself. Uh, so, I mean, I think it puts the same pressure as, 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 you know, finding the right person in your life. I mean, finding the right job, because I think that, I don't know how much you agree with this, but many times people are so desperate to find the job that they just accept, or they say that they are capable of doing just anything and there has to be a chemistry there has to be something that connects you 
in a way. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, if there's not a chemistry, they're not going to bring you back, period. Because <laughs> right. like interviewers, they still hire a lot with their gut. I mean, you have to show and tell them that you can do the job. But at the end of the day, if you have three candidates that can do the job, you're going to go with the one that in your gut sort of feels like this person really fits here. Right. So the good thing about, you know, job interviews versus dating is that you're, if you ask for feedback, you're actually going to get it most of the time <laughs> of why it, things didn't work out or what you could have done better. So let's, let's move on to you know, building a strong network, which is very important, is how we met. And mm -hmm. I was really fascinated because there is no cookie cutter recipe to excel at it. I mean, it's, it's meeting the right people, being in the right place at the right time and, and letting your personality shine. But it doesn't always happen like this. I mean, there are people that are natural. Uh, for others, it's a bit more difficult. What are the most common networking mistakes that people make without even knowing it? I, I think similar to the interview, it's sometimes being so focused on yourself that you talk too much, don't ask questions, and don't listen well. Um, and, and the other important thing is there are some people that dismiss the people who they don't perceive that are important and that somehow the other person can feel it. And so, so there's two tricks to creating great networking conversations. One is to talk about what you love about what you do rather than just asking people like, what do you do, right? So when people talk about their passion and when you talk about their, your passion, right, that, that brings the conversation to a different level and that may help you create connection. Um, and, then, uh, and then the other thing is you have to think about your role as service, right? So you're there to learn about people so you can be of help to them. Um, and sometimes you'll find that people want to reciprocate. Other times people don't. You can let that go and move on to the next one. I was once in a mentoring program where their advice was it doesn't matter about the quantity of people. Like networking is not about throwing your business cards to as many people as possible, but just finding those people that you connect with on a chemistry and then sort of building that relationship. So let's just say that, you know, uh, you're going to an event and you're going to a networking event. You go up the elevator, uh, the doors open and you walk in and there's a group of people already talking to each other and you don't know anybody. What do you do? Well, I, I love meeting new people. So, so, I know, so I'm more of an extrovert. So what I do is I observe the room and I see there's always a person that is also awkward there, like they don't know anybody either. So that will be the person I would approach and make them feel comfortable and just ask them about them. So, you know, hello, like, how are you? What brought you to the, this event? Or, or, you know, what are you excited about today? Or something where I would help them Um, would not feel awkward anymore. Right. And that's where I would say, that's why I, I feel it's really important to think about networking as service. Like how can you be of assistance and how everybody's valuable. And sometimes 
Um, and actually, the most valuable thing you can give to another human being right now is listening. There are businesses right now being created where where people will pay money to have just somebody listen because people are not listening in their life or they don't have enough relationships. There's a lot of isolation. And so if you can just be a sounding board for anybody, it doesn't matter if the person is more senior than you or more junior than you or whatever, but you're just there to interact um, and, and just see what people need, what they're struggling with, what they're excited about. That's, that's really the, it. And, when, and yes, you have an agenda to meet people, but at the same time, you sort of have to let go and see what gets created in the moment. And as you share what you're doing from a point of passion, I think that's where you find sort of the mutual opportunities to help. What, how, I mean, how can you become the most interesting person in the room? Um, is that possible? I mean, because you, you go to a lot of places or meetings, um, you know, it depends what your business is all about and, you know, what it entails, but there's always somebody who is, you know, draws the attention of everybody else. I, I personally don't worry so much about that because if my focus is on adding value to other people, uh, people are always interested in themselves. I mean, we're interested in ourselves. That's right. Why we have a time sometimes networking, right? So if you're, if you're genuinely interested in people and what they're up to, and, and maybe e either giving them ideas or just even mirroring. Mirroring is a great technique for people to, to feel listened to. And that is, let's say you tell me something, what I do when you speak to me is then I sort of repeat back what you said and say, is that correct? And so that, you know, because sometimes the, that's the other th issue when we're having conversations with people we're so eager to chime in with our point of view, or I, I'm very guilty of that. Like when you tell me you had a certain experience, like I end up saying like, oh yeah, and I had that experience too. And sometimes that feels to people like you're all about yourself. True. So that mirroring technique is a way, good way to validate people. And honestly, that's all people really want. And that will make a, like a positive impression, like a, you understand me and you'd be amazed how much that can go a long way in people feeling like connected to you, which is really what matters. You know, that, that sense of being listened to and like human connection that, that again, people are really starved for these days. And I'm in total agreement with you about the connection. We're so used to, you know, social media communicating by WhatsApp and, and really we are not listening to each other. Like you said before, we are not connecting in the sense of we, we are not that interested in getting to know the other person because that mm -hmm. requires time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, m my mistake from my end is that I love to talk and talk and talk. I mean, I, before I was, I even started talking as a child, many family members joke that I was just rambling and I, <laughs> and I wouldn't stop with that. They didn't understand what I was saying. But yeah. it, I, I think you also have to, know that you can be surprised, like you were saying before, if instead of, of worrying so much about making the best impression always and being, you know, the, the person who's talking to the right people, how about focusing on somebody? You never know what lessons you might learn. I mean, you and I met and we connected and here we are. 
and, and I'm really enjoying this conversation because I think that one of the scariest things for people is finding a job or once they have the job, you know, connecting properly uh, to have success and to get yeah. new business, whether you work for a company or you are an entrepreneur. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about, you know, my favorite group of people looking for a job, which is the reality today. A woman, a mom who has kids, who needs flexible time. And this is a real issue for a lot of women, you know, when they have kids and they want to maintain themselves in a career. What job opportunities are out there for them right now? So what I'm seeing in the market is that there are opportunities with startups, nonprofits, and project work that you can find through what I call aggregator sites. So there's the mom project is one or Cataland, um, uh, Fiverr or Elance are a different subset of those, but, but basically, um, sites that aggregate freelance projects. Um, there's also a Facebook group uh, called Dreamers and Doers, where a lot of startups and nonprofits advertise needs. But really, the, the basic premise is similar to what I was talking before about full-time jobs. I mean, this is really an area where the moms need to tap their contacts to find those companies or organizations that may need just a little bit of help but they may not be able to afford a full-time employee and where your know-how and skill set can be very valuable. Um, so that, so, so, but that's something you have to have a conversation with people to sort of uncover the pieces and parts. Another thing that depending on what your skill set is, but like blogging and public speaking, um, creating a podcast like this one, you know, to show your expertise that can be an avenue because again, I think the big thing is you have to show that you're current in your field somehow. And, and so anyway, that's where, you know, you have to set aside some time to maybe uh, you can read something or study something and then maybe post your expertise online. And that's the way people are getting to know you and know you actually can do um, some new things and, and, you know, then, then the ball's in your court to say, you know, this is my availability to help. That's great advice. Let's talk about the moment when uh, there's, this happens to a lot of people when they're in that interview or they are, um, receiving an email that says you're overqualified for this position. I mean, what advice would you give someone who encounters that phrase, whether it's in writing, whether it's something that that person is being told, what would you tell them? So, so it seems, you know, obviously ageism is a reality and, and sometimes that phrase is sort of a substitute for saying you're too old for the job, or, you, know, <laughs> you have too much experience. And so it's a little tricky. I do have to say, I don't know if somebody would ever write that on email, but so, so my theory is if you're hearing this phrase, you're probably speaking to a live person, which is a great thing. And so uh, the first thing that the person needs to do is to affirm the person's decision, right? So if I, a recruiter or hiring manager is telling me you're overqualified, the first thing I would do is to say, 
I understand I'm not the right fit for the role you're hiring for right now. So, so affirm versus like fight against the person's decision. <laughs> and then the next thing is getting feedback you can use to apply for other jobs or maybe to keep in touch with that company for a more appropriate role to come up and you can apply, right? So one thing you can say is, you know, can you share uh, what about my background was originally of interest when you called me in for the interview? Because that get again, you you think about yourself as a product, you're branding to market yourself. You want to know what people are gravitating toward. That's your strength that people want, right? So you get that right. feedback. The other thing you can ask is, did you have any other concerns about my fit for your company? Because if the only barrier they had technically was that you're overqualified and they just happen to open in the future a more senior job, why wouldn't they call you back, right? Absolutely. And then, um, and then you can always uh, take a stab at ending the conversation with asking how you can stay in touch. Again, that depends. You have to listen and, and see sort of the tone and attitude of the listener on the other line. But, but if somebody's open, uh, you can say, you know, I really appreciated your direct feedback. I hope we can stay in touch. I don't know how I can be of assistance to you. Um, how should I stay in touch with you? Right. And so, and so sort of go that route to make sure you have an open channel, because again, if, if the issue was the job was too junior, what if, I, and that was the only issue, then maybe there's a better job for you in there that might come up in the future. I mean, I gave you the example of the guy that with the sick wife, um, he had already talked to that company and somehow they couldn't find the right fit, but then, and, and it had to do with the type of flexibility he needed. But then somehow, you know, six months later, when he texted, texted back, it sort of was the right time. So he was able to get the job. So I think that that's thinking holistically that way. So I want to throw out there the word destiny, because there are many people that will say that much of it is the work you have to do. And another part is what's in your destiny. What is your thought of that? You know, I think that what the only thing I don't like about the word destiny is that that yes, I mean, I feel like sometimes you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be, but we can always take actions to be where we want to be. Um, so yes, sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a saying in Spanish that is about, you know, the thing that's for you is for you and nobody will take it away. Um, right. So, so yes, but at the same time, um, yeah, like, I guess the American way, which is very different, is more, you know what, I'm not the right fit for that moment. I can be a good fit in a different moment. Yeah. So so it's more, so the, the American way, which is less fatalistic, right? It's more <laughs> like what's, when are you the right, um, yeah, the, the right fit or, or when you meet the requirement. So my job is just to figure out where is the place where I'm the perfect solution to their problem right yeah. and and that's another thing about job search people think about it like a rejection thing and it's not that it's just like anything if you're hiring or if you want to buy a product it needs to meet certain needs if it doesn't meet the needs you don't buy it and and so similarly as a job seeker all you're doing is knock on this door 
um, okay, you have this problem. I can give this solution. Is this the right solution? Yes. Oh, great. We, I have a job. Oh, no. Well, okay, next, because it's not the right fit. So you were previously marketing executive at L'Oreal, Sears, uh, Colgate, Pambolive. How did you transition from corporate to entrepreneur? And what lessons do you draw from that experience? So... My position was impacted by a senior management change, and in that process, my I thought I would prove the point that I was championing in my corporate job by executing it directly with consumers. So my first step was I started working with nonprofits teaching marketing to worker cooperatives owned by Latinas, and with the ultimate goal of developing a video-based education Um, for them. And the interesting thing that I discovered was that I was too corporate for my own good. And <laughs> when I mean too corporate was I, I thought a lot of strategy and a lot of plans and numbers on a piece of paper, but I sort of lacked a little bit of the practical steps to move ahead. So, so I floundered there for a little bit, but people started calling me to help them with new product introductions for Hispanics, which is what I did in my corporate job. So I pivoted my consulting practice, I worked on, on several projects. You know, one that I loved was launching financial services for unbanked and underbanked Hispanics, right? So I sort of pivoted with that, but um, I'm a big learner, so... So, so I learned about this lean startup class with this woman called Francesca Escoto. And when I took her class, she taught me how to launch a business, but like in a way where you sort of throw a minimum viable product out there in the market to see if there's demand. So I was able to sort of take that knowledge and then relaunch the business I had originally wanted to pursue. And that's how Spark Career Catalyst was born. So it's still video-based education, although it's focused on job search, not on marketing education. But And the other thing, too, is I was a little bit ahead of my time because I was trying to start this video-based thing like 10 years ago. And now it's very easy to create versus back then it was like I just couldn't figure out how I was going to make money and, you know, what's the business model. Like now, like a lot of people do this. So now I know what I need to do. So when did you decide to uh, become a coach or that you wanted to be a coach? You know, the interesting thing is I... I didn't start out like by dreaming one day I'm going to be a coach. <laughs> like it was more like I enjoyed meeting with people and talking about their career and job search goals. Like I mentored a lot of people, for example, in corporate. I was in mentoring programs myself. I noticed I enjoyed people um, achieving results. I think one turning point was my cousin sent me a woman um, that she wanted to employ at the UN, but she's like, she, her resume really needs work. And when I met with this woman, she was a single mom from one of the islands. And, and, you know, she did have a lot of good work experience. It just needed to be marketed differently. And I just spent two hours with her and I went to see her from, you know, how she came in and how she left, like, with another face. 
And my cousin told me, she's like, oh, my God, you sent me a whole new person <laughs> to back with her resume. And, and that's and very gratifying. Work. And that's very exactly. gratifying. Exactly. And still, I still did that for as a volunteer for like eight years. But there came a point where I think I've helped all my family members <laughs> figure out how to get jobs. So my cousin just said, hey, do a business. Um, I have a client for you, and with my lean startup knowledge, I actually created the the career coaching business. And so, and and the interesting thing is um, also how when you set a certain focus, then opportunities also start coming around. And and you know that's that's sort of how I got into this. Because sometimes you don't know. You have an idea of what you're good at, and even if you have demonstrated it in the past. You just never know what what it might be your biggest strength or your biggest contribution at that particular moment. And, and I think it's absolutely something very interesting and very powerful both ways when you're able to help somebody see better and feel mm-hmm. better. Absolutely. So they say coaches don't provide answers, that they ask great questions. So if somebody wanted to become a coach, what advice would you give them? I mean, there are people like you were saying, and and that's you, that you're a natural mentor. I mean, it comes to you quite naturally. So there's already a base there. Um, So what advice can you give to people who might say, you know what, I give good advice, I can be a coach? So, So what I would say is, okay, the good news is if they give good advice, that means they're a good listener. Um, and, and I think one skill set they need to tap into is they need to be able to clarify, uh, outcomes to be achieved and a process to follow. Right. So, so seeing patterns in how they give advice to people is important because then they can figure out, okay, what is it that I do really well, how I really help, like what is my breakthrough sort of secret sauce and, and so they can then clarify it in a process. Um, another thing that uh, they need to do is, and this is just something you gain practice is with people, is you know knowing when to encourage and when to challenge people. Um, you know because because sometimes you need to help people play the strengths. Other times you need to help them. Okay, you you have an unproductive behavior. We need to change that. And that's something that is only achieved with practice. Um, and, and also be a learner and reader so you can bring the latest techniques to your coaches or synthesize. Because right now there's so much information overload that I, I think people sometimes just value somebody who's going to boil it down for them into the cliff notes of one, two, three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing that I've been counseling some people is and I can think about this one psychotherapist who who really wants to do international work but is having a hard time sort of penetrating the market is, you know, you you can create your own expertise. So you can start as a coach with, you can make a webinar, even before a webinar, that may be too complicated. You can begin writing your point of view when posting it in social media and then see who's connecting with that. And that begins giving you validation in the market, whether what you have to say, people are 
gravitating towards that and then you build from there and then you do the webinar then you maybe do the podcast right then you build the website um but it's like sort of learning by doing i think would be what i would yeah. advise and also um i think it's important because we all have friends who give good advice but they're giving advice projecting themselves or yeah. by the way that they see that they see you not by the way that you are. And uh, I think that's also very dangerous, you know, so just for people out there, just be careful of who has the real expertise and the qualifications and experience and who's just out there to tell you what you should be doing, not according to your path, because they might not be that interesting, you know, interested in, in listening to you. Because I think that the common thread of our conversation today has been, you know, how important it is to listen to people. Yeah. And, and by listening to people, you can figure out what is it that you have to do in terms of an interview, in networking, in, in mentoring, in even creating your own business. Or, or like you had to do yourself, transform what you were doing. Because maybe yeah. you were ahead of your time and, and maybe you had to go through other experiences. So tell us about Sandra. Um, growing up as a child, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I have lived in a lot of countries. I was born in the U.S. I grew up in Colombia and I lived in Sweden. And Swedish, I spoke fluently, but now it's in my long-term memory. So, <laughs> you know, maybe if I go back there for three months, I'll be speaking again. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about me is I, when I was a kid, I explored more my creative side. So I love to draw, I designed outfits. I like to apply makeup on my mom. Um, and I must've done a good job because she always made me do her makeup and hair when she was going out. Uh, and I like to create perfume with flowers there was a, like a tree in our in our front yard or I made like lip gloss with like coffee candy and olive oil and and some of it I think I got from watching my mom she um was an entrepreneur but she and she had like some fashion businesses she had some scientific businesses um so some of this exploration I did through that uh, my dad's a scientist so I also have that math and analytics part of me Um, so, so that I, you know, I always did well in school and, and, you know, when I was, uh, to graduate, I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. My dad felt I should learn about business. And then if I decided I wanted to own a fashion business, great, you can, you know, start one. I um, think, I think that was very good advice <laughs> he gave you. I think it's important to know business, the business side. At yeah. least a little bit before you go into any fashion, you know, having your own fashion business or fashion career if you want to really make it. But go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so he gave you that advice, and then. So the interesting thing is, so I always, you know, I did go down that path, and it was interesting throughout my career. Like I always sort of went back and kind of questioned, like, oh, should I go do something more? on the more creative side. I mean, I did end up working in marketing for 20 years, which there's a creative side to marketing. Absolutely. Um, but the funny thing is that in the exercises of my career, I have 
drawn more on my strengths of process orientation and analytics. So, so, you know, so I guess I have a, I have a balance of the two and I'm just thankful for uh, my parents exposing me to a lot of things. And for my mom being a working mom, my mom persevered because she, she was a women's lib, which was good. But at the end of the day, you know, my dad as a scientist moved somewhere and my mom, you know, dropped all her, you know, college plans, whatever to go and, and do that, you know, and, and I always felt inspired now that, you know what, she persevered. She had her businesses. She finished college when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. So, so imagine it took her like, I don't know, 16 years to finally graduate, but she oh did. Oh my God. Incredible. Very you and, have perseverance yeah. to do that. I mean, talk about not giving up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, but I think that's a role model for me too. I feel like both my parents were always learners and I feel like I'm a learner and I'm, I'm also a very fast learner. So, so I feel that that gives me life. I've, I've, you know, I hear, for example, when I hear people saying, you know, I'm going to retire, whatever, like my, obviously you want to be able to manage your career in your own terms as you get older. But I'm like, I don't see myself retiring because I'm always learning new things and I want to, you know, want to see how I can apply that in the future. I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I remember people telling me that I, I should take some time off between mm-hmm. transitions and I mean, I was so baffled because for me, what was most important was not taking time off. It was really finding a balance in my daily life, which I think is what we all want, a well-balanced life in terms of money, uh, success, and how we feel inside. And, you know, in in all that aspects, I think it's it's very important to, to find that balance. So how does your day look like? I mean, your day-to-day, you obviously have to be focused, focusing your energies on people and giving them advice and coaching them and following up. So, you know, there's some, and I ask this question because there's some people that have a lot of difficulties uh, working on a routine when they're on, they're on their own, they don't have to go to a job. So, so how is your day? A typical day. So I spent eight years working from home and, and the thing is I did have a routine and also know, you have to know when's your peak time for energy and what to do in that time. Right. So, so at my peak time, I'm a morning person. So I, one benefit of working from home is I could go straight from my bed to the computer and do the thing that required the most brain power. And then after that, I might take the shower or cook. I use cook cooking to like relax a little bit um, and, and get up from the computer. That was another thing. Like you can't, you have to take breaks. And that, I'm really bad at that. Um, but I always made sure, you know, trying to figure out how can I take a break from what I'm doing right now so my brain can sort of like think differently and I can be more creative and more productive. Uh, another benefit from working from home was I have learned when you're too tired to do something, it generally takes you three times or four times longer to do. So it's just better if you're tired, just go take a nap, get up and do it. You know, you can save a lot more more uh, time. I actually learned that from my um, college classmate. I, I wrote an undergraduate thesis, uh, uh, you know, to graduate and 
And he always had that theory, you know, he was tired. He's like, I'm going to sleep and then I'll wake up and do what I need to do. And it was true. He was very effective because, you know, rested. rest, rest is an, an important component. Um, the other thing, I mean, you have to know yourself. So, so I, um, you know, I, it's been surprising. I know that I can you have the TV or music on and be productive, but I now work in an office where it's open space and, and everybody's sort of whirling around. And my role is such where people need my expertise. So, uh, so anyway, so I've noticed that, wow, I have a hard time concentrating. So like, what do I need to do? You know, one, one thing somebody taught me too was that the brain, the way the brain works is established routines are very important. So always go to the gym on these days or always do, for example, the financials for my business on this day at this time, four hours, you know, so, so your brain starts getting used to that routine and the less the brain has to think, make certain small decisions, the more productive it can be. Um, so that was something I learned, you know, and also to sort of managing, you know, those to make sure there weren't holes sort of in the schedule where I'm sort of not doing anything planned and then I'm sort of don't know what I'm doing and wasting time. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you also have to forgive yourself and move on because <laughs> sometimes you do waste time on, on a day, but like you're, you're not, you know, you don't have to be stuck there. You can sort of see yourself and be like, Hmm, interesting. And, you know, if you want to reflect about it and then move on, you know, I can start fresh. Let me go around the block, take a walk around the block. Um, the interesting thing though, is that, um, I was doing this, you know, coaching from home and my other marketing consulting, but, um, I had, uh, three years ago, I had encountered a woman at my church who was a human trafficking victim. And I helped her through this one organization and I maintain a relationship with that organization. And so about nine months ago, they asked me to consider a role in their organization. And so, um, right now I actually, my day job is I work for this uh, organization that helps foreign nationals here in the U.S. Um, and here in New York who are survivors of human trafficking to regain economic independence is my area. We, we help them regain independence and well-being in general. But my area is I lead the economic environment. So I lead job training, job development and job placement um, and job retention. And in that role is very different. I'm more... Uh, I have a lot of people to manage, which is, you know, it's a learning, continuous learning experience, you know, for me in terms of, it's very different to be a coach than to be a boss. So, yes. so I'm learning to, <laughs> to develop more of the supervisory skills. And but, but you have an advantage, but you have an advantage. I mean, there are many bosses that have never been a coach or that oh, yeah. don't even know how to do it. I mean, at least, um, if I would be working for you. And knowing your background, I'll be trying just to go have lunch with you every single day. So, Sandra, uh, what is the key to this? And what advice can you give me on that? Because I think that you have a lot to offer in terms of life experience and really meeting so many different people. And uh, also in, in your own story and the ways that you have been able to challenge yourself and getting to know who you are. Because I think... Like you were saying before, it's important to know who you are in every aspect of life, even to understand your own routine. 
So it's amazing work what you're doing right now. Uh, human trafficking is a reality and that you're able to place these victims is really extraordinary. So I congratulate you. Um, tell me something that nobody knows about you. You know, actually, one thing I want to go back to before I answer this question is yeah. one thing I learn also an entrepreneur that is not present when you're employed is when you're an entrepreneur, you have to know what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you're not good at. You can find somebody else to help delegate that to them or just you have to find a solution and you never feel bad about what you're not good at. You, you just have to figure out how to solve it. And I feel when I was corporate, it was like if I had a weakness, like it was like a bad thing. And, and you know, I feel like I have a different perspective now. I mean, I still, I always want to grow as a person, but I also know I have some limits and I'm, I'm okay. Like, for example, I'm a very detail-oriented person. That literally is just how God created me. And this is where my brain gravitates. And sometimes what takes somebody to do half an hour takes me six hours just because I think so deeply. So, okay, I know that's who I am. I'm not going to feel bad about that. It's just I have to figure out how to solve that problem for the times when that's not a good fit. <laughs> you know, so, so right. that's, that's, you know, an advice that I would also give people. That's great. That's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So back to your question then. Something yes. about me that nobody knows. And that you can share, of course. <laughs> you know what? I think it's more, I think some people know this about me, but I think it's a surprising thing even for myself, which is I love talking to new people and I love working with people on teams and helping them. But when it comes time for me to like rest and recharge, I really need time alone. Um, and so like, for example, I am happy to go with you shopping forever, whatever you want. But when it comes time for me to shop for something, I'd rather shop on my own, even though I probably <laughs> should use somebody else's point of view sometimes because I keep buying like 60s looking outfits all the time, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I tend to want to isolate sometimes, which is sort of surprising for a people person. It is surprising, but I understand it. I mean, and I can identify with that because I used to do that a lot too. I mean, because I think that what we don't realize um, is when you're investing energy and many times, you know, when you have to do an Excel sheet or you have to write a financial report or something that is very methodical, it takes work. But I think that when you are, your energy, when you're putting your energy and you're focusing on something and you want to make sure that it's done correctly, it takes more from you than you can possibly imagine. And we just need to recharge our batteries, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's why, like you were saying before, knowing yourself is key to everything, really knowing yourself. And it takes, and maybe we will never end up knowing truly who we are or analyzing it in a way that makes sense but at least have as much information as possible and be honest with yourself. You know, there are many things that I don't know how to do, uh, but I'm really good hiring other people mm -hmm. or, you know, having the eye for that talent. I have made mistakes, but it's sometimes the only way to learn. So yeah. I, so I always end up, you know, it's, it's kind of, Interesting, because I always end the podcast with, yes, you can. And I know that is something that is not very unique or, and it's very common. 
you know, I, I think that you really can accomplish your dreams and and do what you have to do if you work with passion and you have put the right dedication and and the and the effort that is necessary. So what is that what does that represent for you? So my my favorite quote is by George Eliot and he said it's never too late to be who you might have been. I love it. Um, and and why that's an inspiration to me. I think about my grandma. And obviously I told you about my mom too. But my grandma actually got a master's degree in theology in her 80s. And she was, you know, she was somebody who also was, you know, stay-at-home mom. And then she was trying to, like, uh, survive with her family, things like that. And she wanted to learn, but she just couldn't at the time she had. And so what I learned from that is, you know, until I'm dead, I'm not finished. Um, so, so, you know, if I have an interest, I can start doing it now and, and sort of roll with the punches if things don't turn out exactly as I want in the moment. Or, you know what, I may not be able to get started on that now, but it doesn't mean I'm, it's never until I'm dead. Right. So so, for example, right now, I, you know, love career coaching, love the work I'm doing with human trafficking survivors. But I know another thing that interests me is big data. And, you know, when this by the way, I've changed careers like four times. Right. So, you know, when this career sort of reaches uh, its point or, you know, maybe I want a different change in the quote unquote retirement. Well, I'll go learn more about data science, whatever is there, you know, in the future and start a new thing. And so, so until you're dead and your brain's not working very well, you know, you can always do something and learn and move on. At the end, success is about being happy and being active and enjoying life. I think that that's the most success that we all want and everything else, you know, it's just, it's just maybe for you or not for you. It's been great talking to you, Sandra. I mean, what great advice. I really encourage people that might be going through transition or even people that have a curiosity of how, how many alternatives exist out there uh, to do, be better at certain things like networking or you never know where you might end up and and how you can inspire other people. So thank you, Sandra, for doing the work that you do and uh, for continuing to inspire us. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for letting me share my story and my journey. Thank you, Sandra.